Welcome to your shelf. Or mine. Or mine. I'm Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. Well, I'm Mary Alice. I'm the Mayor of Longview. And I'm Hillary Strobel, and I'm a City Councilwoman for Longview. Great. Thanks, you guys, so much for coming on our on the library podcast for this month. Yay. Thanks for having us. Yes, I'm really Thank excited. Um, today we're going to be talking about... Uh, the category from our 2020 reading challenge, a book about voting. And uh, we had put this category on the list at the end of last year because um, 2020 is the centennial year of the 19th Amendment. And um, part of what the library was going to do to celebrate was to talk about books about voting. We also had this like lineup of different speakers coming and uh, picture book walk and like crafts and all of the stuff that we had to cancel because of the pandemic. So I'm really glad that we um, at least are still getting to do this. Another thing I think is really cool is that for the city of Longview, this is the first year that we have a female majority on the Longview City Council. Um, and I think that's a pretty exciting milestone because um, it ends up being like a pretty big uh, year outside of that because of everything else going on. But congratulations, you guys. Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> uh, we're we don't get a chance to celebrate that very much in person, but we're it's it's really exciting. It's it's been a great year. Yeah. Yeah, it has. <laughs> With all the difficulty. Yeah, this has been mm-hmm. Amazing. Good. So if you guys could just start, um, and I'll start with uh, Mary Alice, and you could tell me just like a little bit about yourself, the kind of books that you like to read or movies, TV shows that you watch, and um, how you got interested in politics. Sure. Oh, my. That's a lot of loaded loaded information. (laughs) Well, I'm Mary Alice Wallace. I grew up pretty much in Longview with uh, graduating from Mark Morris High School. I went to Lower Columbia College for a couple of years, and then I went off, uh, finally graduated from Western Washington University, and my degree is in speech pathology and audiology. Built for about seven years in um, and pull out, a pull-out program within school districts uh, that were incorporated in the ESD 112. I love doing speech, and I still have speech students. I have um, an adult speech student right now that's a stroke patient and a, a six-year-old that a speech student as well right now. And I've had probably 30 or 40 in the past 30 years. And it's been a lot of fun to have uh, my own like tutoring, speech tutoring business. I got into politics by helping out on campaigns and doing doorbelling and phone banking and really enjoyed that process and wanted more. Uh, I was involved in politics through in high school, through leadership, and in college through leadership. 
I kind of was one of those leadership geeks and didn't do cheerleading and those fun pep club type things. I was more booky and serious and, uh, and that was good for me, but it's hard to be a young adult and be interested in leadership kinds of things. It, your population of friends gets smaller because it's a very isolated and um, specific type of interest. So um, I kind of put that on hold while I was raising my family, I have four children. We homeschooled our children for 15 years, which is something I know a lot of people within the community are doing now for the very first time. It was an, it was a choice for us. We, I was public school uh, educated. I was public school educated um, as well as my husband was as well from this community. And uh, we just wanted to try something different and it was very successful. And we, we have college graduates and my children, my children are doing great things. And that's, that's the hope, right? When you are on that venture of raising a family and, and putting all the good things into them. We spent many, many, many days at the library and homeschool families often do. It becomes the, the playground of choice because you're in the, you're growing the mind. And so you're introducing your children to any and every possible type of education. Um, and I think that that's one beautiful part of homeschooling. And so I love to read. I love um, literature. Uh, haven't always found the time through the years to delve in. So I do a lot of article reading right now, but I have a big stack of books by my bedside that I love to draw from and read from. Um, one, uh, are we, are we discussing books at this point? Probably not in depth at this point. Sure, but you can go ahead and mention what you're reading now. Um, well, I read anything from the leadership, of course, to, you know, just current day articles to, uh, I, I read a lot of spiritual values based books. I like some fluffy books. I call my fluffy books and my comfort books. Um, and I have several of those that I have, have read and, and I, and I have authors that I like to go to for that, like John Gershom and, um, just mm-hmm. simple little mystery novel type books and Mary Higgins Clark. And I don't even know, just whatever sounds fun that somebody will recommend to me. Uh, I do love historical fiction. It's probably my favorite genre. Um, I like to get into the story of lives that, of people that have lived long ago and, and hear their experience. One of my, Favorite books is by um, Esther Hotzig, and it's um, The Endless Step, and it's a story about the World War II time period, and it's just a really lovely story about this young woman, And but there's a lot of great books like that that pique my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So right now, um, I'm, I just finished reading the Guernsey Literary and Potato Pie Society book, and it was so such fun. a mouthful. It is a, a very big mouth, mouthful. Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Very great bit of historical fiction in many ways. I love how the author, the original author, wasn't the finishing author of the book. And there's a real nice bit of history there as well, which is, is fun. I, I like those kinds of parts, of, uh, those pieces of books um, where you you find out something deeper than you would 
not know just by reading the book. So I like to read the book and then I like to find out about the author and I go into what other books the author has has read and then I usually or written and then I usually start on a trail of reading every single novel that has to do with that author just because I I like the way that they've gone. So uh, that was fun and it was really great that the movie came out at the exact same time um that I was reading the book. So I ended up watching the movie before finishing the book. So that was a big spoiler for me, but I don't, it's fine. I don't mind those kinds of, uh, I don't mind wrecking the surprise, um, it, to me, cause I, I see literature and movies in, in a totally different fashion. And I, I like movies for, for movie sake and, and the enjoyment factor there. But, um, I like to, to read because I like the written word and I like to see the word choices and, and how fun it is to put those words on paper. Uh, I'm reading. Uh, a book called Foundations of Leadership. It's, I'm not really reading it. It's more of a compilation of essays by people within history. And I really like it because it's value based. It talks about different pieces that are very important to, to leadership, like vision, courage, perseverance. So I will, I was talking to Hillary about this earlier, but I, I like to read books that inspire me to be a better person and, mm-hmm. and how those great characteristics and values can play out within a person's life. Um, A book that I put on my list of books to talk about was um, the Mount Vernon love story. This is a story by Mary Higgins Clark, and it's her first story. It's different than any story that she may have written because this is a historical fiction novel about George Washington and his wife, Martha. Martha didn't did ever really go by the name of Martha. She went by the name of Patsy. And we always think of George and Martha when we think of the, the Washingtons. But this is a really lovely story, and it really puts you in history. And it, it shows you the humanity of these two people that became uh, this person that became the, the founding father of our country and his wife and the, and the trials and tribulations that they went through um, in those early years. So I really love that little story. It's very fun. And it's, I don't know, it's just, we don't talk about these old stories very often, right? We always talk about current day stories. Another story that I love and a story called um, Gift of the Sea. And it's, it's a book that I often will uh, give as a gift to to different people just because it's, uh, it's very personal. And it's, uh, it's a book by Anne Morrill Lindbergh. Uh, she is the wife of Charles Lindbergh, who was a great aviator and the, the first person to cross the tra- as a trans- solo transatlantic Atlantic flight. But um, in this book, uh, she uses the inspiration of shells from the beach near the a beach home that they have. And she identifies each shell and talks about the, uh, the, the characteristics of the sh- these different shells. And it's... Um, it's very enlightening as you read the book to discover what shell you might be. And, and she has a real beautiful way of communicating that. Uh, so I often identify myself as the Argonauta shell. And I have to read the book to find that out why. But um, that's one of the, the shells that I identify with in, in that book. And it's, it's just one of those real fun books. Again, I like to match up that that authorship with the book and why would that person write this story and why is it meaningful to the world? And those are the kinds of things that excite me about literature. 
What was that one called again? That's a, a gift of the sea. A gift of the sea. I think it's a gift or gift from gift from the sea. Sorry, I I, I need to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, just writing it down. Yeah. Oh, gift from the sea. Gift yeah. from the sea. Okay. And then you'll be on that tangent. You'll learn all about Amora Lindbergh and why she, how the person that she was and how she became this uh, great woman of courage. And um, she had a child that ended up being kidnapped, which is very publicized. And so there's all these really great little tangents that go off of these stories that I love so much. I think that's about it. I mean, I, I, I'm willing to read anything. I don't, I'm not a space. I don't like uh, stories that are, I always laugh at my kids because they'll watch movies and I'll say, does it have a building that talks in it? Because then I'm not interested because I don't like things that aren't real and my brain won't, won't function in, in an, an environment that's not real. So utopian societies, things like that are really hard for me to wrap my head around. As an author myself, um, I don't know, a lot of people don't know that I'm an author um, of uh, children's scriptural puzzle books is what I authored in, but I also write other freelance work and I'm working on a homeschool novel right now. It's it's very fun to hear from my other author friends the work that they're doing and I'll, and I'll listen and be engaged in their stories. I'm in a writer's group, so I'll listen and be engaged in their stories and add to it. It's just not my personal preference to mm-hmm. to read <laughs> that type of uh, like futuristic or futuristic um, anything that's just kind of out there which is it's really popular right now I mean Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and these are my kids' favorite favorite books you know the Lemony Snicket series and all of these chewy different I guess I probably would like the Lemony Snicket series but <laughs> <laughs> but um, just some of these uh, high level um, fantasy Yes, fantasy, sci-fi fantasy. So, me, that's a little bit about me. Thanks. <laughs> Hillary, what about you? Hillary, she's hearing it for the first time. She's like, who is this weird mare? <laughs> no, no, Mary Alice, because we've talked a lot about you being a writer before, because we've talked about your book before, um, because we've talked about just how many parents who didn't necessarily choose homeschooling are experiencing that process right now. And so I'm hearing all the different debates. You know, this isn't homeschooling, it's remote learning. And, you know, my kid is still in public school and there, there's still requirements that kids are supposed to be sticking. And But the format is, it's, so it's a lot. Um, but so I'm excited about your book coming out so that we can, you know, maybe glean some insight. Because we're all trying editing. to editing, editing. Yeah. Yeah. Editing is the <laughs> hardest part of writing in some ways. Yeah. The editing. Yeah. Okay, so um, I am Hillary Strobel, and this is my first year on city council. Uh, I sit in seat number two, and um, I, uh, so Mary Alice, I think you and I probably had a little bit of uh, opposites in terms of upbringings and where we've been, because I've been all over, so my family's originally from Montana, and then my unit, we moved a lot. Um, as my family was chasing economic opportunity and ended up in California. And then I've been now all over. Um, I've been in Europe and I've been in Canada and Mexico and, uh, and then all over the United States. So uh, I moved here from New Orleans 
And so that's still something that's very important to me. Um, it's not part of our daily lived lives anymore because Longview is, you know, a much, I felt really good about bringing Ava up here. You know, there's, there's all the things that make this community work that I just didn't find elsewhere. So, um, you know, Mary Alice, we've talked a little bit too about what it means to be engaged in civic society. And you find that in a place like Longview is just really exciting to be a part of that. And that's a great place context to raise a child. So I feel really good about landing here now a little over three years ago. Um, so it's been really wonderful. And we also got engaged in the civic life of Longview through the library. So it was the very first thing we did. We moved here. We got an electricity bill. We went over to the library and got a card and the, the rest is history. And I you know, immediately we've made friends with all of the youth services librarians um, and went to the story times and did all the things. And so you guys now have seen Ava mm-hmm. from a really shrimpy three-year-old to yeah. a very tall six-year-old <laughs> so, um, who is reading bullets, by the way. So we checked Great. out that book. Uh, we checked out a book yesterday yeah. through the drive-through and Ava read the entire thing to herself in 10 minutes. It's like, wow. Okay. So that's where we're at. And that I want to give credit to the librarians. And then she had a little um, pre preschool program. So I'll give some credit to teacher Linda. And then she was in preschool last year and those teachers did amazing. And now she's at CBG and she has Mrs. Doyle for kindergarten who is doing a lot. And so I just wanted to give a little shout out there too. So my background is uh, my undergraduate degree is world and comparative literature. So that's not something I talk about tons, but my life has been books. I thought when I was a kid, I might go into book publishing. And so I became a literature major because then I thought, well, I get to basically my whole deal in college is to read books and then to write papers about what I liked about books. Nice um, project. And ultimately, I did not go into book publishing, but I had all of the sort of, you know, early to mid-20s, you know, try this, try that, go here, go there, see what happens um, type of stuff. So um, when I went back for my master's degree, then um, my degree is in social science, and there was a program called Interdisciplinary Studies. So the whole purpose of that was uh, there were eight of us in that program. And then what we got to do was come up with a topic that interested us that was grounded within the social science world. And then we got to design what that might look like. So what classes we might want to take, what advisors we wanted to have for our senior thesis. And so the social sciences incorporate everything from urban planning and uh, sociology some schools include uh, philosophy. Our school included criminal justice as well in that, and um, anthropology and history. So, I mean, social science really is a catch-all term for the study of human behavior. And that's really what got me then, I think, poised for public life in terms of being really effective at community organizing, being really aware of other people's experiences and how to properly engage with empathy. 
uh, with other people and um, and then how to sort of systematize people's experiences. So if you notice the same thing happening for different groups of people over and over again, then you can systematically approach. Uh, so if it's a problem that people are having, then you can kind of design these solutions because you've seen it happening in patterns over time with lots of different people. If it's something that's going really great, you can figure out then how to build on it and whatnot. And so that that's kind of where that systems thinking really came into play for me um, was when I was doing that. And then I've had all kinds of amazing jobs ever since where I've put that into play. And, uh, you know, community activism jobs. I spent a lot of years in New Orleans helping with the post-Katrina recovery and, um, you know, doing some really tangible things there, but also some stuff that we know is going to be like years in the making. So one of the, the last major things I did there was um, water management. So you may know that New Orleans is um, below sea level, mm-hmm. which is why that flooding was as uh, widespread as it was, because the city is basically a giant cereal bowl. And so mm-hmm. uh, when water leaks in in one place, it'll just settle into the bowl. So water management is a very pressing thing that that people need to concern themselves with in New Orleans. So um, so there's there's infrastructure questions. There's you know, how to how to get it to people, how people consume it, how we clean our wastewater and all that stuff is part of that consideration. But that's, again, very systematic. So that's what I brought with me to Longview. Um, then it turned out a year and a half ago, there was an opportunity to run. And I truly love this stuff. I love helping solve problems. I love being a bridge builder. I love these sort of big scale you know, if you have a budget of X number of dollars and you need to be able to fund all these things and how do you make that work? And I love figuring that stuff out. And I love public service more than anything else besides reading. So um, it made sense to me to, to try give it a shot. And I met so many amazing people uh, and, you know, had a really great time doing this. And, and then I was honored to um be elected. And then in the last year, we've had a huge challenge, also a lot of opportunities to try some stuff really creative, really forward moving and growth oriented and um, meant to make Longview something really more than it already is special. So, um, so that was kind of what motivated me to do all of that. <laughs> so, um, and then I'm happy to talk about whatever books or whatever else. Yeah, that's I'm great. Now or whatever. Um, yeah. So you know that I'm a little bit extra about these things. So I read a whole bunch of books about voting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you started. Um, I mean, I think you had read a bunch even before. I was like, hey, why don't you guys come on the podcast with me? Since like Elizabeth moves, I need guests on it with me. <laughs> and you're like, I'm ready. <laughs> well, so I had already read because, as you mentioned, um, 2020 is the 100 year anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, which certainly gets us closer to universal suffrage. And I, there are ways to go, because then what I went ahead and did was read some of the other um, books that I read that were showing some of the difficulties that the United States has had over the past hundred years in terms of extending enfranchisement um, into the, the community. So I read a couple books like that, and, yeah, so I've got words. 
Before we get into those, will you just say, like, in general, what kind of books that you typically read and what your interests are? Sure. So I can talk about my – so my favorite author – well, authors – I would say probably the one author whose book where I've read every single thing this person has ever written in book form is Isabel Allende. Um, he wrote a book called Ava Luna, which my daughter is named after. So that should tell you how much I love her writing. And I have almost everything ever written by John Steinbeck on my shelf. Yeah, I, <laughs> for a long time and for many years, I was really, really into the beat writers. So I got really into the beat writers for a long time because I loved that it messes with the structure of the language itself. So the, the rhythm, it's, it's like written, it's like prose form poetry. Um, so I've always really loved the sort of free forminess of it. And then the subject of the stories. So it would be somebody hitting the road. It would be somebody having a wild party. Like a whole entire book about, you know, one of the first books I ever read about Jack Kerouac was where he went and spent a summer as a fire lookout in the Pacific Northwest. And so he was keeping sort of a diary of that experience. Um, but I've never read any sort of diary or memoir like this before. And it's just this free form, like existential meditation that he's just put on paper. And I was in love and I was 15 and I read it and I thought, okay, well, that's the life I want to have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went off and had that life. Um, uh, my mom and I love to share books that are about women who are a little bit witchy and mischievous and uh, maybe have some secret powers, which is always fun to read those types of books. I do love that um, genre. And then I also love to read lots of um, like so social issue books. So I, I do read books about randomly about things like urban planning, um, you know, how we've come to have a crisis of poverty in the United States, those types of books. So there's a basically in the like sociology, nonfiction type of world. And now I'm obviously, because I spend a lot of time reading to my child, so we're reading lots of uh, like the Winnie the Pooh anthologies and the Secret Garden and uh, all fairy tales from around the world, um, which I have from my undergraduate college days. So, um, Fun. yeah, so it's all around good reading. I try to, you know, I try to read whatever I can you know, whenever I can. So <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Sure. Okay. Now we can get into it. Now we can get into our books about voting. <laughs> okay. So I read three. Um, that sounds like a lot, but two I read this morning because they're children's books and the other one I, I still haven't finished yet. So, um, so I'll start really quick. Um, I read this one, and I think I'm going to read this one at story time tomorrow. It's a picture book, and it's called The Equality's Call, The Story of Voting Rights in America. Nice. And it's um, by Deborah Dyson with pictures by Magdalena Mora. And it's just really, it's like a, like a rhyming picture book, um, pretty short, like easy to read as a read aloud, that kind of um, just like very simply talks about like, uh, the expansion of voting rights in America. So, like, at the beginning it says, you know, that only white property-holding men were allowed to vote. And then, um, like, it repeats this refrain over and over again that says, a right isn't right till it's granted to all. 
And every time it does on the picture, there's like more and more people like joining the, um, the chant. Yeah. So it starts with oh. like three, three people on okay. this page. And then by oh. the end, it's just full of, um, all different people. And they're all marching. Yeah. Oh, nice. Little voting posters and stuff. Oh, that's, wow, those illustrations are beautiful. Yeah. So I really, really like this one. Um, and it has, um, like, Mary Alice, when you were talking about what you really like, um, learning stuff about books, I really, really like author's notes. Like, mm-hmm. that'll bump how much I like a book up quite a bit if it's got a really good author's note at the back. And I especially like, like, kids' books that have good back matter in them. Mm-hmm. So this one has like this uh, little appendix that has voting related amendments and legislation like in it. So it says, cool. you know, 15th Amendment, it starts with. And then the most recent one is the Help America Vote Act, which was 2002. And it has like a list of activists in the back so you can learn more about them. And it shows where they're drawn in the picture book. Um, it has little thumbnail images so you can go back and find them in the pictures, too. So is it a first-person narrative or um, a dispassionate narrative? It is. It's a. It's like a third-person. Okay. Omniscient. Yes. Mm-hmm. Omniscient narrator. That's the word. Um, I like that. And then there's there's a couple of really good books that you guys have gotten into the kids' department about, um, like the Selma marches and whatnot. And some of them were written not not by the people participating, but in their voices so that they're yeah. first, so that the, the kids can really kind of identify with that process a little bit. Yeah. That's children's publishing cool. is really great and adult publishing does this too, but I feel like, I don't know if it's just cause I know more about children's publishing or if it's, they do more, <laughs> but like when there's big anniversaries, like, so this year there's been a lot of books about women's suffrage that have come out and, um, yeah, so when they were, we were doing just a few years ago, the anniversary of, like, the Selma um, march, there was a lot of stuff coming out about that. And one I think I told you about that I read when it was new that I really loved was called um, Turning 15 on the Road to Freedom. And that's actually um, a memoir by a girl who turned 15 on this march, and she was the youngest marcher, um, just mm-hmm. talking about, about it. It was really, really nice. Wow. Well done. Wow. See, that's, a, I think, a thing to think about because you said she turned 15 on the march, right? Because yeah. it was a multi-day march mm-hmm. over many, wasn't it like a many dozens of miles, I think? And Yeah, and I think it was three days. Yeah. So, geez, imagine going into that when you're 14 and coming out when you're 15. Mm-hmm. And what a, mi- what a milestone. Wow. Amazing. I remember when I, when we homeschooled, when we were going to homeschooling, we go, every election, we really dive into who the, who, who are the candidates and all the different information, all the different things about voting and having the kids read books. And it was, it was a wonderful, like I received such a great education just teaching my kids at home. Yeah. And now on this other side of it, I miss all of that. I am just hearing about these storybooks and I, I, when the library is open, I'll often go into the library and just pick up children's literature, like ch- yeah. go into the children's, department area mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it but the children's area and I pick up books and I'll bring them home and when I'm out at garage sales or whatever I always pick up books just because I love the I love children's literature it's mm-hmm. very okay. s- sweet and simple and 
explains concepts that are really big sometimes um, in in ways that little people can understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many really great, like, picture book biographies and stuff. Um, there's lots of times where I'm like, oh, yeah, I know about that historical person from, a, like, a picture book I read. Mm-hmm. I feel like it does give you, like, a really good, really broad, like, understanding of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Very the, the other book I read, and this is also, this one is really interesting. This is called How Women Won the Vote. It's by Susan Campbell Bartoletti. The subtitle is Alice Paul, Lucy Burns, and Their Big Idea. Um, so this is like, it's a picture book kind of, but it's like for older, like the Qualities Call I think is like good for preschoolers. And this one would be more for like kids in school. Um, and they do, it's like an interesting thing where there's like really cute um, illustrations of the people. Mm. And then they'll also have like photographs. Um, oh. And sometimes like full page photographs like this of. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And they just like it, you know, just blend them together, which is really interesting. But this book goes through um, and it really just focuses on like Alice Paul and Lucy Burns. Um, and it starts talking about how they learned about um, like activism living in England and kind of brought the the lessons from like the English um, suffrage movement um, to the United States. So in the American movement, there was a lot more of like issues with like respectability and they all like wanted to be really nice. And of course it was taking like decades and decades and decades. And then in England, they got like real um, into civil disobedience and stuff like that. And so that's what Alice Paul and Lucy Burns like brought back to mm. the United States was um, that kind of thing. So that's what this book focuses on. Um it talks about the um, march that they planned in Washington, D.C. in, um, what year was that? The parade? I want to say that that's like 1913. Yeah. I think. Um, so it talks about that um, parade, and then it talks about um, them starting to picket when they picketed the White House. And were arrested and the hunger strikes and the forest feeding, um, which is, um, pretty awful. Yeah. I didn't really, I guess until I, uh, or I read these books recently understand what the force, what force feeding really entailed, which was that they put like tubes in their noses and poured like scrambled eggs down them. Oh, oh my gosh. Awful. Yeah, awful. Um, Anyways, so um, that book was really interesting, but I did find, like, reading it where I was like, oh, but that leaves out this person who did this, or that's yeah. not the whole story, of course, because it, it's just a really short book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like that one a lot, too. And those two are both um, published this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what I think another thing is so great about reading a lot is – because Alice Paul showed up in several different books that I read as well and different pieces and parts of her stories. So, you know, in the one that you just talked about, she's the protagonist of that story. And then I also read a book about suffrage where she plays a big role, but also it talked a lot about the conflict between the American and the British uh, approach to civil disobedience and what that might look like. And Alice Paul was really willing to put her body into it because they shoved scrambled eggs up her nose. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other American women didn't want to do that. Um, and then she shows up in another book I'm having where she's very tangential because the book is about sort of the this parallel desire for women's suffrage that was put together by non-white women. So um, and so then she just has a glancing cameo in that book. But but when you start to read all of these things and get these senses, so then what you end up with is their context within the time period. And I think gives literature just such a. Uh, the reading of it then becomes such a flavor and they become more alive as characters. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and so the third book, and I'm still working on this one, this is an adult um, book called Suffrage, Mm -hmm. Women's Long Battle for the Vote. And it's by Ellen Carroll Du Bois. And I'm kind of right before um, the 19th Amendment. So I haven't... They haven't quite gotten there yet, but it starts um, 1848 and um, really focuses on like the um, like the major figureheads like Elizabeth Terry Stanton and Susan B. Anthony and the organizations that they um, started and dissolved and started and merged and separated and um so it's pretty comprehensive, and I am really enjoying it. It goes through, um, I think, through the Voting Rights Act. And it does have a couple of appendixes in it. That includes the Declaration of Sentiments, 1848, and the Declaration of Rights of Women of the United States. I love re-remembering re- that I can actually go to the children's library section and just pick up some of these wonderful books. and Yeah. It reminded me a lot of some of the other books that I've read and paths that I've gone on of other uh, civil unrest books, uh, the Ayn Rand books. The <laughs> There's so many different um, tangents you can go on mm-hmm. when it comes to not just civil rights, but American rights or humanity, rights of humanity thinking of like man's search for meaning and some of these really deep books, deep thinking books um, that, that are so great. Um, I, I went on a tangent with reading all of the King Potat books for a while there, just because I love historical fiction so much and the way that he writes is so fantastic. And, and I, and I love to see how different groups of people, um, live within their culture and, and manage the situation around them. And so, yeah. This suffrage book has um, some like photographs and stuff in it. But one of the things um, that I kept like stopping to look up was like better pictures of the people they're talking about. Um, and a lot of the um, like art and stuff that was made, the posters that they made. And, and she does talk a little bit about um, the effect that, that those could have on, getting people involved mm-hmm. yeah so many levels mm-hmm. oh indeed do you know one of the things we were talking about uh that he was that you know the category a book about voting we, mm-hmm. we thought that that meant so much more than just that you could like put a ballot into a box uh although that is incredibly important and crucial 
and everybody should be doing that right now. Um, but that, yeah, but that, um, so I think to riff on that idea of that you could take this thought, like any one thought that could come up in a book or in a conversation like this and then run with it and find yourself mm-hmm. just exploring so deeply. Um, so Mary Alice, you were talking about that to you, it was, it was about leadership and, and, you know, and then that's very grounded as well, by the way, in this idea of moral leadership. I think we talk a lot about sort of leadership skills being the ability to speak publicly or to, you know, to command a room's attention. And those things are important, of course, but I think real leadership comes from how you have integrity around your relationships with other people, you know, uh, how, how you commit yourself to the problems that you want to solve and, and the, the things that you want to build on that are really great. And, and then for myself, it was like I wanted to explore the idea of enfranchisement in general and what it means. So, you know, for us, for example, one of the things going back to the idea of why you got into politics, it's it's that you should have some skin in the game. When you have a place at the table, then you are able to influence the way that, that the world then can can meet people's needs. So when more women are at the table, then we are able to stop seeing women's issues as boutique niche Mm -hmm. issues. We are half of the world's populations. So, you know, we should be in half of every leadership position, I think. And and so um, but there's and then that that comes from feeling like you can actually be enfranchised by the process. So I ended up reading books that were I did read some books about the 19th Amendment specifically, or I should say mm-hmm. one book about that specifically and then, but other books about what it meant to continue to be struggling for, for having a seat at the table. And so I just, I love the idea that just this one idea that the word voting then turned into all of these wonderful different thought processes for everybody in terms of how they wanted to explore the topic. So, you know what I think would be a cool book and maybe it exists, but, um, cause in the suffrage book, she keeps bringing up, you know, like these great speeches. It would be um, great to have like like a book that was just like a compilation of different speeches about um, enfranchisement. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that would be amazing for me. You know, I when I was thinking about that, you know, you, you asked about a voting kind of a voting statement, mm-hmm. a piece, you know, and I I, um, I was I was thinking about that actual vote and how personal it is to us. So going back to the vote, the vote, vote part of our discussion, um, that it's really authentic to us. It's our voice and we're adding that voice to other voices. And in the end, we, we get it, we kind of get an answer. We find out what, what the voice of the people is saying. And if you look back to the last election, Hillary, Hillary won, um, we had other two other counselors that won in the, that election, um, unseating current council members. That that was a, a voice of change, and it and all of those individual votes were extremely important to that. Um, so um, I think also that that voice, when you when you take the time, I, I love that you read that book, um, fifteen. Uh, what was the one called? 15. Turning 15 on the road to freedom. Yeah. Turning 15 on the road to freedom. And I remember getting ready to have my first opportunity to vote in an actual general election, you know, and how exciting that was for me. But I, uh, it's what, well, what is exciting to one person isn't always exciting to another, but 
for me, uh, what I always try to instill in my children is that that voice and, and starting that process does something internally as well. It's part of building your self-worth and your self-esteem. It's helping you to gain an independence in something that's authentic to you. So you may not know every single thing when you're 18 and you get to cast that first vote, but it's the beginning process of, of, of what that, what that looks like and well, what that may look like in the, and it could completely change in time, but with maturity, you, you know, mm-hmm. your ideas broaden or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking that through, you know, through this voting process, we, we refine our needs we for for a community and like i said before by determining what the voice of the people is for now mm-hmm. and based on last election what the voice of the people at least for our community would be for now and that could change it could evolve uh we don't really know um it's 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 exciting to be a part of that movement. And I think that we need to, as women, especially be rejoicing and celebrating that we were, we're part of that. I like to look forward and be kind of a forward thinking person rather than looking back at what we didn't have, but looking forward to what we do have now and, and what the power that we have now can be uh, for, for good um, in our future. And so I, uh, I think of, and I've, I've probably shared this with Hillary before, maybe even Ruth, but I, I don't see the suffrage as, I don't like to look at the suffrage as a negative. I like to look at it as a positive that we, we, we are on to something new. We are doing something now. Um, it's not that we, it's, we have something now and it's really great and we will always have it. I don't know. I don't like to dig in old boxes sometimes and and say, oh, man, that was so ucky, you know, that we didn't have this and that. And it's it's interesting, as as history can be, to look and see the the suffrage part of it, the sad part of it. But I like to look at the happy part of it and where where we've come and how amazing that we have what we have today. It's too bad we didn't have it sooner, but Mm -hmm. that we have it. Yeah, I agree. And I think reading um, these history books, too, makes me feel really grateful Yeah, um, that these women did so much so that we could have individual voices and yes. be a part yeah, it's of. It's a shame that we didn't have it, but that was a different time. Yeah. We, we have to realize that that was that was the voice of the people at the mm-hmm. time. And it was very limited. Women, women weren't celebrated in the way they are today. They they were behind the woodwork, um, in the home, uh, cooking and cleaning and doing domestic things. They weren't leaders and, um, spokespersons. And, and so, and we are, um, and I, and we are so grateful to those women, those early leaders that, that brought that to, I mean, the three of us, we're sitting Mm -hmm. here, we're sitting here having this discussion right now Mm -hmm. and it's, it's okay too. And it's valid and it's, helpful to the future of our stance, you know, what we want. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I imagine that you guys think too, as like elected officials about um, the, you know, the young people in the, in the future Mm -hmm. that you're making for them. 
um, yeah. quite a bit and being leaders for them and, you know, sure. future years to look back and say, wow, I'm really grateful for Hillary and Mary Alice and the work that they did <laughs> leading our community. You know, and I think as well, it's great if it's great if that we can excite people and generate some enthusiasm. And then um, so, yeah, thank you. Like, it would be real nice if if somebody said thank you, Hillary. But also I want to be able to say thank you, young person, mm-hmm. for already becoming the leader that you want to be. So when I see what is happening um, as movement building amongst the young people around the world who are demanding and expecting the world that they want to see and they are very vocal about it. Um, you know, the next generation of leaders is already cultivating itself and we can offer some great guidance and then we should get out of the way. Um, because I, I do appreciate as well the idea that, you know, I, I don't necessarily see myself 20 years from now, you know, making a career out of sitting on city council for, for the next 20 years, because I think that I know what's up. Um, I would like to make it so that as people are, are coming into the community or growing up and coming up in the community, that, that, that whole, that kind of that next leadership mantle is out there for them to grab. So it's a, a real important piece of what I see. And it's why I chose the books I did in terms of, you know, here's here's some paths that have been blazed and some trails that have been blazed and now now the future is for you to go and blaze whatever trail it looks like for you um based on what you think isn't working right now so yeah it's exciting um and i honestly like you know this female majority count like i feel like we have had a real opportunity to change the conversation around what the community can expect from its leadership it's really been exciting it's true. I I always like to be the devil's advocate, but I also also want to I I think there are many good leaders in our community and they don't always happen to be women and so I feel like we we need to continue to celebrate the quality leadership, you know, that those core values and people that are standing for sensible government and leadership and we have some some great leaders within our city, city um, of Longview, you know, executive leader leaders that we have, and and we need to celebrate that as well. Do you know? I think that's a perfect seg into the books that I've been reading, but also that point, which is none of us can do it by ourselves. It is not possible, no matter how amazing any one of us is, uh, and we are all amazing, but any skill set any one of us has, we don't do these things by ourselves. None of us lives in a vacuum. Um, so uh, so I also read um, a book about the 19th Amendment um, called With Courage and Cloth, Winning the Fight for a Woman's Right to Vote, and that is by Ann Bossom. And that was a, a National Geographic um publication that they put together so that's usually pretty heavy on images and it's a pretty like straightforward historical document so it goes through you know from this date to this date to this date and and um in some ways it can leave out some of the subtleties but it was a very good compendium of of getting from that very first seneca falls convention in 1848 up to the year 1920 with the ratification of this 19th amendment so um 
put it into a, a pretty nice little condensed version. But then I wanted to kind of go and look at some of the ways that voting hasn't been universal in the United States. And one of the books that I read after that was this book called Lifting As We Climb, The Black Women's Battle for the Ballot Box by Yvette Dion, um, which is so good. And so, uh, and I hear a lot of people using this term in current day usage, lifting as we climb, and it's this idea of standing on the shoulders of giants. And um, but once you're on the shoulder of a giant, your job now is to reach down and let somebody else come and stand on your shoulders, and that you're actively at all times pushing. Not just your own leadership, but then opening up the pathway for the next generation or for the next person at the table to have their voice get heard. So so even in, in the same time period, you know, when we sit down to council meetings, for example, each of us has an opportunity to say what we say. And then part of that basic respect then is that each of us then has a voice. So we're lifting as we climb. And so then from reading this book, I find that that phrase comes from um, this sort of parallel movement that had grown up to uh, around women's suffrage. Um, because, Becky, as you mentioned, there were some within that original group of women who felt that universal suffrage meant for white women. Um, and so then this this parallel movement sprung up amongst um, black women in the United States, and they put together all kinds of different social clubs and activist clubs that were meant to influence simultaneous to what these primarily white groups were doing, were also pushing for um, access for, for black women, because there is an extra layer of being both a woman and being a person of color that's, that holds some of um, holds some sway in that group where they feel some, some, some oppressions. So these women's groups put together this phrase that was their motto of this women's club that at this national level that was meant to promote the idea of universal suffrage amongst women of all races and classes. Um, so lifting as we climb. Um, I loved it. It was a very easy, fun read. I mean, it, I mean it's for adults, but it was very fast. And there were all these wonderful little um, thought bubbles that came up through it that had great biographies of people like Ida B. Wells, who did a lot, um, and Sojourner Truth. And um, there was one quoting in here from this woman that I loved so much. This woman, uh, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. And so when she's talking about she so she approached the idea of universal suffrage as um, as a parallel to the abolition movement. So she had this quote that she gave in a speech, which was, "We are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity, and society cannot trample on the weakest and feeblest of its members without receiving the curse in its own soul." And I thought, what a what a moving way to talk about suffrage mm -hmm. itself, but also enfranchisement and being what it means to be a first class citizen in the United States. Having the right to vote makes you a first class citizen. Um, but when we are letting 
some of these uh, disenfranchisements happen, if we think it's not a big deal or it's happening to someone else, then we are, in fact, inviting inequality into our own lives. And that's something that we do need to be aware of, that we are, again, we are, none of us are going it alone. So um, I, I felt like this was a great book that I would love to recommend to anybody who was interested in getting a primer into um, the black female suffrage movement that was additionally was happening back in the 1840s and then found real voice in the civil rights movement, which led me to reading this one called Freedom Summer, uh, the savage season that made Mississippi burn and made America a democracy by Bruce Watson. And this is about the summer of 1964. Um, so the previous summer in 1963, there had been um, a push to uh, register voters in Mississippi, and that was known as the Freedom Rides. Um, there were people who were um, chartering buses and going around the state of Mississippi and bringing um, voters from their homes, potential voters, I should say, from their homes to county courthouses to register them. And this was obviously met with a great deal of um, backlash and physical violence and, um, think, you know, led to things like church bombings. So the most famous of which is the 1963 Birmingham um, church bombing in which the four little girls were killed. And so what had happened then was the student nonviolent coordinating committee put together a plan to gather college students. So there was a lot of um, mindset amongst the younger people, the people who were in college uh, at that time in the United States to get involved in various causes abroad. And so then this was a, a way to bring um, that, that same um, Peace Corps mindset to within the United States. And so um, it was basically like an army of college students to, to come to Mississippi and not just um, help people register to vote, but also to physically stand in the way, to, fit, to act as like almost like a body shields. Mm -hmm. um, and it was incredibly violent. So the book starts out with the murder of these three civil rights workers. And then, um, so that's the bookends of the narrative. So it um, starts with that happened on June 21st, the very first mm -hmm. day of this summer in Mississippi. These three um, civil rights workers were murdered and then um, closes with the finding of their bodies and the then the case, the civil rights case that came after it. And it was it was very painful to read. It really hurt my soul. Yeah. So um, I struggled while reading this with the idea that giving somebody the opportunity to have their voice heard in the public sphere met this in this wall, this wall of resistance that was so actively physically destructive so that it would lead somebody to want to murder another human being just to just to get that person away from the voting booth. And I think the thing that hurt my feelings the most, honestly, while reading this book was the idea that when they did really catch these guys who did it, the one guy, when he was giving his uh, deposition, said, well, when we got the order to, um, to kill 
he's got, and yes, there was a hit put out on them. Um, when we got the orders, guys, the idea was nobody would care. Would They would just go away from Mississippi and nobody would mind. And there's there's a family that belonged to the person who now will and um the it's, and then it just the idea yeah just rendering somebody invisible be, as if they don't matter is something that the United States is uh, a piece of its history we we to kind of reconcile that that it would be more important to us to render somebody invisible than it would be to listen to what they have to say. So um, I did find the subtitle to be really apropos on this book. It referred to it as a savage season, and I felt like that was the truth. I mean, it was physically physically difficult to be there, but savage to think about it after the fact as well. And so to kind of uh, cheer myself back up after reading that book, I read this book. Um, I read this book called Ahead of the Curve, Washington Women Lead the Way. And this is a compendium of women from Washington State. Um, this book covers the years 1910 to, to 2020, who have had profound influence on the policies of the state and the way that this, this state engages with its citizenry. Um, so um, anyway, this book is really lovely. It's, you know, just, uh, you know, Washington State was one of the first states in the fight for um, the 19th Amendment, was one of the first states to grant women within the state borders the right to vote, and one of the first to um, approve the amendment. And um, and then everything up until, like, quite recently, where we've had, you know, female governors and female um, senators, and, you know, and now we're trying to really lead the way in all these different policy decisions Um so that's that was a really exciting book, and so this was a very fast read as well, um, with just packed fun little info that's kind of put into these great formats for people to kind of grab what they want to out of it. So, so those are the books I read. I love them all. I would tell anybody to read them. Um, that Freedom is is a hard one though. It's just it's just meaty, um, but it was it was a good read. So. <laughs> I need to get my library card out and get some more books. Yes. <laughs> put, some, put some things on hold. Mm-hmm. I have something yeah. on hold right now. I haven't heard anything back. Oh. About I'll it. Do that for you. Yeah, I think it's a it's probably a historical fiction, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> do you know that Christine loves reading about World War II as well? You guys should totally nerd out about that stuff together. She's like a World War II expert. It's funny. Oh. Well, I'm definitely a novice. <laughs> I love hearing I love hearing all these cliff note versions of the books, and then I'm like, oh, good, I'm going to go after that one. <laughs> I need to get back into reading. I feel really, I I don't feel like I'm very well read right now. <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. talked about this um, kind of these last gosh, we're like moving in on eight months now. Mm-hmm. Um, how really like it's been difficult to read for a lot of people and to like um concentrate and have like the stamina to finish a book um i know for me that's been really difficult like i have on my bedside table um probably like a dozen books that i have half read this last same (laughs) yeah and i and talking to my kids it's kind of the same um of course 
there most of them are in college at some level right now again and they're reading you know for their classes but mm-hmm. it's i don't know yeah it's a great it's hard because there's not enough like structure i think so you know, for me, I would always think to myself, okay, I will go do X, Y, and Z today. And then I get to spend my evening unwinding with a book, but now X, Y, and Z is sort of happening all day long. And there's not really a good end ending point to that task or whatever. So I just feel like a, mm-hmm. a loss of structure is probably one of the biggest <laughs> casualties. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's a part of the pandemic. I mean, it's, we may not be suffering with illness ourselves, but we know there's suffering out there. And so we we're kind of in this limbo mode of engagement and it's been challenging. It's hard to finish anything. It's hard to get to feel relaxed enough to to curl up with a good book kind of feeling uh, we want to. We, we're eager to. And and yet we we don't get there. I think book clubs would be a good idea yes. <laughs> right now because we could it would press us to reading. I was in a book club. I've been in several different book clubs and it's, it, it kind of helps you to make sure you're reading, reading and discussing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think for me too, one of the things that I think makes it hard um, is that I feel so distracted by like reading other stuff. Like there's so much happening in the news I guess that's where the articles part comes in. Right. I'm reading a lot of articles that I'm not really reading good Uh literature. And I I miss that. I do miss that. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of all those books (laughs) you guys have read. Yeah. So sometimes it is easier to be like to read like a book that's for children because it's shorter. Um, And sometimes like. Yeah. I was going to say less heavy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's true. Um. Well, do you guys have any other thoughts? Thoughts about voting? Thoughts about books? Oh, I, I could talk about books all day. Um, I love books. I think it's very important, and a lot of people already have, and so just to commend those people for already voting, um, but just to not forget to turn in your ballot and probably the safer thing to do is turn it in even a little bit before election day, if you can, um, just to help lighten the burden on our county assessors, um, not the assessor, the elections commission office, sorry, <laughs> um, to, to just make it a little bit easier for them after election day to, to count your ballot. So just to make sure that people are doing that. Um, it's your number one way to make your opinion heard also, I think one of the big things that comes from enfranchisement that people really need to take care to, to do is to get involved. So um, there's there's always somebody um, whose campaign you can get involved with. There are always policy issues that you can lobby for with your legislators. There's missions all around our community that you can get involved with that help to make decisions about the day-to-day things, you know, quality of life issues and whatnot then, you know, elected officials are in there as well. So just to encourage people to run for office, it's really hard and really fun. (laughs) And you honestly, no matter what else, you get to hear what people care about and where you could make a difference. Because like I I was saying, you know, this, this process, like if you talk to 10 people and five of them say this is the thing that's going on, 
then you can start to systematize an approach to, to that thing. And that comes from spending the time listening. And that, that's what I got out of campaigning last year was meeting all these different people right where they were. So I went, can't do this right at the moment, but I, I did spend a lot of times in living rooms with people having cups of coffee and just finding out what matters. And so it's, it's informing how I'm trying to approach this time on city council to, you know, to say, you know, I remember when Jane said this thing was going on for her and this is how it was affecting her. And I also remember when Bob said this was going on and it turns out that Jane and Bob actually want the same outcome if, if they had their druthers. So let's figure out how that outcome comes about. And that comes when you have a seat at the table. So voting is very crucial. And then everything all the way up to if you choose to um, running for office, because then you get to actually implement those those ideas out in the wild. It's really exciting. And then I would just encourage people to educate themselves about all the ways that we could improve upon universal enfranchisement um, and make it a little more universal. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's great. Are you waiting for me to say something? Sure. In conclusion. <laughs> In conclusion. <laughs> Voting is, is essential and it is that, like I said, it's your one voice. Um, it's your, your voice in the mix and super important to do so. Uh, Carolyn Fundings, when our, um, our, our auditor has asked us to uh, use the ballot box if necessary and as, as much as possible. We can put those ballots through the mail and it's fine to do so, but the ballot box is, is going to definitely ensure that that vote gets to the ballot um, elections office. And there's, we, we have a really great system, I think, in Washington state. And I don't like hearing the other 49 states discounting the opportunity for mail-in voting. I think we're doing a really good good thing here and and probably we need to share that again that was a the voice of the people that wanted that type of um election process and so it's just these little things that we do that can make a big difference um, that's why we have three women on council or four women on council now three new women and four women on council now um by doing all of the things that hillary recommended you know getting getting um, involved at whatever core level that you decide is important to you. I recommend even just sitting on a boarding commission, board or commission committee, uh, just try that out for a while and see if that's something that works for you. Um, lend your voice to a, a bigger audience in a, in a, in a small, small way. You can, you can make a big difference and, we have an opportunity coming up here with the 2023 celebration. There will be lots of ways to serve and to celebrate Longview's 2023 100-year um, celebration. And it, it, so if you're interested in doing anything that has to do with that whole voting process, which comes from just, you know, the actual vote, your own individual vote, or lending your voice somewhere, it's important to do. And if you like doing those kinds of things, then you should find ways to plug in. Great. It's a great way to, to help um, a community. Thank you guys so much. Um, this has been really fun. It's been really fun to have this conversation with you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast with me. Thanks for I apologize. 
What time of the Thank day you. were my dogs start barking? <laughs> Ready for a walk. Well, well, thank you very much. We, I, this has been wonderful. I love, uh, Hillary and I have had a, a couple of opportunities to do some really fun things together. And so I see us doing many more fun things in the future together. And yes. thank you for letting us have this, this opportunity to share our voices. Indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, thanks everybody for listening to your shelf or mine or mine. I'm Becky. <laughs> I'm Mary Alice Wallace. And I'm Hillary Strobel. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. Studio time for Your Shelf or Mine is donated by KLOG, Cooking Country, and 101.5 The Wave. We at the Longview Public Library thank our local stations for their ongoing support. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldry from A Song for You. Find Megan on Facebook or Twitter at Meg McKeldry or online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldry. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldry. That is the upstairs creaking floor. Okay. Um, we are not alone. <laughs> oh, no, there's a ghost in the machine. Okay. <laughs>